Welcome to Trinity on Tap, the Old Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. Paul Jones. 1.3, monsters. Monsters are interesting, aren't they? They're a significant part of our culture. Uh, You'll find monsters in kids' storybooks, in pop culture, uh, in books, films, TV shows, on Twitch, gaming. And of course, if you stay up late enough, you'll also find them in your wardrobe. (laughs) Seriously though, they do play an interesting role in our culture, I reckon. As kids, we're, we're afraid of monsters. We wonder if they're real or if they're not, and we wonder if they are in our wardrobe or not. We wonder if they're tangible, or as we grow up, we start to wonder, are they just an extension of ourselves, you know, a a kind of embodiment of our greatest fears. And as we grow out of childhood and into adolescence and then adulthood, those monsters sort of become metaphors for experiences and feelings that we need to face up to and ultimately overcome. A recent film entitled A Monster Calls, I think it was 2016, uh, illustrates this. could have been a bit more subtle than it was, but it's about a boy who seeks out the help of a huge tree monster to cope with his mother's terminal illness. Or last year, uh, I think I Killed Giants, I think it was last year, which is about Barbara Thorson, who struggles through life by escaping into a life, a fantasy life of magic and monsters. And of course, we've got our obvious monsters like King Kong and Godzilla and, you know, werewolves and Frankenstein and so on. And then we've got giant animals and aliens in other films like uh, Rampage or Pacific Rim and that sort of thing. The whole Marvel and DC universes actually lean on this concept of monsters, you know, wherever they come from. We need these superheroes to defend planet Earth and, and fight off the monsters. And the thing that they all have in common, I guess, is... Uh, monsters are big, ugly, scary, and imaginary creatures. We know that those films aren't uh, non-fiction, but that they're fictional, but they're entertaining nonetheless. So you might be wondering, why on earth is this guy talking about monsters? Aren't we looking at the Old Testament? Well, the Old Testament has a lot to say about monsters, actually, in relation to God. Or perhaps a better place for us to start is with a question. Why are there monsters in the Old Testament? Well, look, the reason I bring them up is because of our theme. These first four podcasts are focused around the theme of chaos. And in the first podcast, we checked out two primary biblical metaphors or symbols for chaos. And they were darkness and waters. Correct. But there's one more image in the Bible for the primordial chaos that God overcomes. And that image is the image of monsters. And I think it's pretty awesome that the Old Testament has monsters in it. Isn't that cool? Suddenly the Old Testament world is not so far removed from today's pop culture and its obsession with monsters. So let me read you a few verses from here and there in the Old Testament. We'll see why the biblical authors are talking about monsters. Uh, This first one is from Psalm 74, verses 12 to 14. It says, Yet God my King is from of old, working salvation in the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the dragons in the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. Okay, so what's imagined here is the Leviathan, a sea monster, which is here described as having multiple heads. So if you, if you can imagine a hydra, you know, the multiple-headed sea serpent in Greek mythology, I'd say you're probably not far off. 
And twice in these verses, the psalmist speaks of God breaking the heads, plural, of this massive sea monster. And in this psalm, at the same time, God is working salvation in the earth since ancient times. That's in verse 12. So like we saw in Genesis 1, we have the ideas of God as redeemer and God as creator, and they're put together. See, verse 13 says, God divides the sea, as we saw in Genesis 1. And then in the same verse, God conquers this chaos monster by crushing its heads. So note that God is not described as creating these monsters or dragons, but rather of conquering them. It's almost as if God becomes the king from of old, of ancient times, by triumphing over the chaos monsters. Let's look at another one. This is from Job 26. Uh, verses 11 to 14. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he struck down Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. See, it's running away from him. These are indeed but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his power, who can understand? So here we're introduced to another monster. This one's called Rahab. And by the way, it's not to be confused with Rahab the prostitute in Joshua 2, whose name is almost spelled exactly the same way. Rahab here is again a sea monster uh, and a monster who's struck down in the same verse that God stills the sea. In the next verse, verse 13, Rahab is described not as a dragon, but as a serpent, which, by the way, is the same word used to describe the serpent in Genesis 3 that talks to Eve. But notice that the language is again creation language, reminding us of Genesis 1. If you look at the wider context, Job is talking about God's creative power here. And as God creates, Job says that God is victorious over these chaos monsters. So you see the redemptive activity, the saving activity, and the creative activity go hand in hand. Okay, so we've seen the mention of monsters in Psalms and the book of Job. Let's just look at one more from the prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah 51, verses 9 and 10. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to cross over. Do you see what that's hinting at there? Rahab shows up again, described as a dragon, pierced and cut to pieces by Yahweh, the God of Israel. But did you notice that this time, the defeat of Rahab is linked not so much to creation, but to the Exodus, especially in verse 10, that last verse. In, in Isaiah 51, the prophet is remembering or recalling the Exodus, where God dried up the sea to make a way for the redeemed to cross over. Isaiah combines creation and redemption language again in an effort to speak a hopeful word to Israel in exile. He's reminding them that they, the redeemed, crossed through because the waters of the great deep were dried up or divided. And there are plenty more texts like this, but we'll just we'll leave it at those three for now. What we see or hear in these passages from the Old Testament is that when prophets or other biblical authors talk about God as creator or redeemer, they use this language of God overcoming chaos. 
And to have some some impact when they're saying that, they talk about something extravagant. They talk about God defeating these frightening sea monsters. See, monsters make a place uninhabitable, right? No one wants to share space with a monster, not your bedroom or the wardrobe or anywhere else. And in these texts, by defeating these monsters, God is making life possible because he's getting rid of them. By defeating monsters, God makes life possible. Now, that's an awesome truth, and I I love the Old Testament's really creative way of articulating it. We haven't got CGI here, but we got something uh, as close as we're going to get. Now, what does this really mean for us then in the 21st century? Well, quite frankly, it, it means exactly the same thing today that it meant to readers a few thousand years ago. By defeating monsters, God makes life possible. The monsters may have changed, sure, but these passages have exactly the same message for you today as you're listening to this. If you want to know what this pattern in Scripture means for your life in particular, the question to ask is, what are your chaos monsters? So let's talk about a couple of those. The first one that comes to my mind is addiction. Addiction is a category that houses a whole host of chaos monsters for us in the 21st century. And don't forget, addiction doesn't just mean drugs or alcohol. People are addicted to all kinds of things these days. Affirmation on social media, sex, often in the form of pornography these days, which slows your brain function and ruins your ability to have an intimate relationship with another real person. Gambling, another addiction that ruins lives and entire families. Eating for comfort quickly turns to an addiction which can become chaotic when a person needs to comfort themselves with food but doesn't want to put on any weight. Workaholism is rampant as people seek to build financial empires that are just never, never enough. Screen time, strange as it may sound, screen time, whether that means TV, phone, iPad or computer. I think it's actually great that the the latest iOS update tells you what your screen time is. I say it's great. Sometimes it's it makes me cringe. But how much it's up or down from the previous week, it gives you an indication of how much time you're spending staring into this screen. Retail therapy is another addictive behavior. Again, because people associate it with comfort or stress release. So eventually, of course, it becomes a habit and you get thousands of shoppers who find themselves, I guess, wandering aimlessly around shopping centers without any real reason for being there. It's just their habit. Exercise is another one. And, you know, don't get me wrong, exercise is great, but studies are increasingly finding an overlap between excessive exercise, drug use, and eating problems. So chaos, you'll see, gets a a foothold when things get out of balance. Remember that the antidote to chaos in Genesis 1 was what? Do you remember? It's order. The antidote to chaos is order. And of course, look, there are plenty of other addictive behaviours revolving around appearance. There's so much more we could say on this. According to the feed, actually, um, the SBS news program, Aussies are outspending Americans in plastic surgery now. I found that a really interesting fact. Australians spent over a billion dollars in 2017. 20,000 boob jobs. 30,000 liposuction procedures, $350 million worth of Botox injections. Apparently teeth whitening and tanning too, they're becoming highly addictive behaviors. 
Now, all of these life-diminishing forces that I'm talking about, they cultivate chaos and bring disorder and confusion into people's lives. You don't need me to tell you that chaos monsters are out there. They're running free and they're wreaking havoc. But of course, there are other chaos monsters as well, other than those in that addiction family. And I'm not going to try and list them all, obviously, or we'll be here all day, but I will mention one other that I think does a lot of damage and somehow manages to remain hidden. I think psychological damage is one. It's one of these chaos monsters. By that, I mean that, I mean all those ways that people are hurt when they're growing up by distant fathers or manipulative mothers or jealous siblings or bullies, combination of the above, sometimes by complete strangers in ways that are just so wrong. But my point isn't that people get hurt, because of course, you already know that, people get hurt. The monster here, the ongoing psychological damage, is due to the fact that so few people seem willing to acknowledge those deep hurts and then really to work through them. See, deep psychological wounds cause disorder in our thinking and in our behavior. They cause confusion. And we often just let those monsters rule our lives. Sometimes we're aware that it's happening. Sometimes we're not. But a lot of us just get on with living angry lives without ever asking, what can I do about this? Sometimes we don't seek help because it hurts too much. Sometimes because we're ashamed. Sometimes we're just not sure where to begin. And I guess this is what I mean when I say that this monster it manages to stay hidden. See, our body image, for instance, is visible to everyone. And so people do get obsessive about it because it's on display all the time. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and so on. But there's a danger that each of these becomes just one more way of saying to the world, hey, look, check me out, I'm smart. Look, I'm beautiful. Look, I've got it all together. My family is as happy as can be. And our culture is just so focused on appearances that we're easily fooled into thinking that how we appear is the thing of utmost importance. But it's not. It's really not. We're physical beings, sure, and it, it is really important that we take care of our bodies. But how about some balance? We're also emotional beings, and too many of us don't know how to recognize, let alone talk about, our emotional states. I heard uh, Brene Brown recently saying that a lot of people only recognize three emotional states in themselves. I think it was happy, uh, angry, and sad. But she said that really a healthy person should be able to recognize about 30 different emotional states and that that's something we can talk about with our kids and encourage them to recognize a whole range of different emotions. Because it's life diminishing, isn't it? To only be able to recognize some very basic emotions. We are emotional beings. We're also psychological beings. And as I've already said, we don't think it's worthwhile to talk to a counsellor or a psychologist unless our lives are actually falling apart or if they've already fallen apart. And so often people only go and see a psychologist or a counsellor or someone who can just help them talk things through when the mess has been made. We're also sexual beings, but many of us keep our sexuality hidden, concealed, secret. That's not life-giving. That's life-diminishing. I'm not saying you have to flaunt your sexuality, but it's unhealthy when we have habits or practices that we keep hidden and secret 
because we're ashamed of them. And of course, finally, we're all spiritual beings, all of us. But because people can't see our spiritual maturity as easily, we sometimes neglect our spiritual health. We settle for sort of faking it once a week at church because that's what people see and that's how other people will measure our spiritual health. Now, I apologize if all of this sounds a bit negative, but let me just say what my point was in all this. My point was not your life is a mess, not at all. My point is just to get you thinking about where there might be disorder and confusion in your life. In the next podcast, I want to focus on what the Old Testament has to say about how chaos monsters can be conquered. But before we get to that good news, the question for reflection coming out of this podcast is perhaps an obvious one. And it's this, what are your chaos monsters? And look, I just encourage you to be really honest with yourself. There's nothing to be gained by pretending that you've got it all together. So the question for this week, where is there disorder in your life? Where is there chaos in your behavior or confusion in your thinking? What are your chaos monsters? Catch you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.